Hey everyone, it's Leslie Ludi, host of the Set Apart Girl podcast, biblical encouragement for women of all ages. Today we're going to tackle another handful of common questions that single women struggle with, including the question of whether online dating is good or bad. Maybe that's something you've wondered at times how to act around men you're attracted to, and what to do when you're tempted to lower your standards. So even if you're not walking through a single season of life, I hope that these truths will encourage you to pass them on to women that you know that are walking through that season because there is such a battle over single women today. Christian single women feel such a pressure to follow the the path of the culture when it comes to finding a relationship, finding the one they are going to marry, finding their identity in a relationship, and those issues really are at the forefront. So if you are a mom or a grandma or you have influence over teens or singles who are walking through that season, these truths can be really helpful in passing along godly wisdom to things that they may be grappling with. And if you are single, I hope that these biblical truths will really encourage you to keep your eyes on Christ in these years of your life rather than being distracted by the pressure that is everywhere around you in the culture today. One of the things that is at the forefront of a single woman's mind, I believe, is this this pressure or this need to be in a relationship. Otherwise, you can't feel complete or you can't feel happy or you feel like your life is maybe on hold until you finally are in a relationship or are heading towards marriage. And yet God has such a purpose for those single years of your life, whether it's a season or a lifetime of singleness, you have just as much worth and value and purpose to your life when you're single as when you're married. And I think that is such the opposite message of what we often are hearing from our culture today. So a lot of women become impatient and they start to believe that lie. Well, my life won't really be fulfilled or it won't really be complete until I finally get married. And so that causes women to become extremely manipulative and self uh, a lot of self-effort in trying to make something happen. I've even read Christian books that pressure single women into manipulating guys towards a relationship, sort of like God created you for marriage. You're not going to be happy until you finally meet the guy. Here are tactics you can do to get a guy moving towards marriage. And really, even though God did create most of us for marriage, he hasn't called every single one of us to marriage. And there may be a season of our life, even if we are called to marriage, where he wants to have us single because what he's called us to can be accomplished so much better uh, as a single than it could if we were married and had a family. So being accepting and content of the season that God has you in is really the first step to fully realizing God's purpose for you in those single years. We so often, whether we are married or single, are tempted to use our femininity to manipulate men, to try to influence men to get what we want. And there are some really amazing biblical contrasts to this idea. If you read the story of Esther, what an incredible example of a woman who influenced a man. She needed the king, her husband, to really change something pretty extreme in the way that he was ruling his kingdom because he was listening to this evil man, Haman, who had convinced him to sign the death sentence of all the Jews. And she was going to risk her life and go before him and appeal to him to change that law and to stop listening to Haman. 
And I love her example because instead of rushing in there with her um, emotion and her manipulation and her charm and her feminine wiles, she actually spent three days with uh, those who served her fasting and praying before she even went into the king. And so when she went into him, he his heart was ready. God had supernaturally worked in his heart to give her favor with him. And he said, even up to half my kingdom, it will be granted to you. And that kind of favor can't really come through human manipulation. It can only come through the enabling grace of God. And so here was a woman who influenced the king on behalf of the entire nation of the Jews through the power of God, becoming a vessel and a tool in God's hands rather than using her own human fleshly manipulation. The story of Ruth is very similar. People sometimes look at Ruth and think, well, she was aggressive towards Boaz. She went and laid down at his feet when he was sleeping. But if you look at the story of Ruth, it's a story of submission. Ruth had the opportunity to stay with her own people when her husband died. And that's where she was known and where all of her comforts were. And she chose to lay all of that down and to serve Naomi. She said, where you go, I will go, and your God will be my God. And when she got to Naomi's hometown, she had the opportunity to go after younger men, but she yielded to Naomi's will and did exactly what Naomi asked her to do to become that tool to redeem her family. And so everything that she did, Boaz said to her later, you are blessed because you did not chase after younger men. And everyone in this community knows that you are a virtuous woman. So again, here's someone who didn't use manipulation to get you know, a man's attention. She submitted to Naomi, which was in a sense submitting to God and yielding herself to be a vessel in the hands of God to accomplish his purposes. And Abigail is another great example. She was married to an evil man. He was showing extreme dishonor to David and David's men. And because of that, he David was coming to basically wipe out uh, Abigail's husband and, and everything associated with him. And she was very godly and wise in how she went to David and knelt before him and humbly appealed and turned away his anger. And he blessed her and said, you've kept me from committing a great evil and killing out of anger. And I love those three examples because here are women who could have used their feminine wiles, their manipulation to try to get men to do what they wanted. And yet they yielded to God and the result was so powerful that it impacted generations to come. And so if you're single right now and you can really make that shift to say, I am no longer going to give in to the pressure that is all around me to say, well, I have to manipulate men to get what I want. Otherwise, I can never be happy, you know, until I have a guy in my life or until I get these guys to do what I want and moving this relationship forward, but to completely surrender and say, Lord, I am I am fulfilled and content and complete in you. And if you desire me to be married, if you desire this relationship to move forward, I lay that in your hands. And I desire to be a vessel that you can work through to inspire and point the men around me towards you, but not to use my feminine wiles and manipulation for my own agenda. So let's get into some practical questions that single women who are walking through this season are grappling with. And the first one is, and we will get to the online dating question, um, since I know that's a really, really important topic to deal with today. But the first question is, how should single Christian women act around godly men 
that you're attracted to. Because with the feeling that we have that godly guys are so rare today, you know, it's so easy to look around and say, all I see around me are self-focused, worldly men. I don't see very many truly godly, Christ-built men. So when you do see them, it's very easy to start feeling this impatience and this urgency like, oh, I've got to get his attention because what if he's the only godly guy I ever meet? I can never meet another guy like that. He's so rare. And it's so easy then as a single woman to start taking matters into your own hands and letting that manipulation take over. There's a temptation to try to impress a godly guy with your godly qualities. And pretty soon you're not yielded and submitted to God. You're using your own, quote, godly qualities to try to impress him or turn his head. And usually that's motivated out of a fear, you know, that this is your only chance. You'll never meet another guy like this. What happens if he doesn't notice you? And that unhealthy pressure that women feel to somehow snag a guy if they see a good catch or to prove that they're, you know, a good catch to him. Well, the first step really is surrendering the whole situation back to God and saying, Lord, I know that if you do not have this person for me, if this is not the story that you're writing for my life, then what you have planned for me will fit my life even better and it will be even more fulfilling than what I'm envisioning in my own mind right now. And I yield this back to you. And if you hold that attraction or that desire to see a relationship form with an open hand, that gives God God room to actually begin doing his work in your life and weaving the pieces of your life together the way he sees fit to do that. If you keep your hand on the pen and try to script your own story, you hinder the ability for God to write your story in his own time, in his own way. And you might end up with a decent story, sort of like Isaac and Ishmael. You know, Ishmael was the result of Abraham and Sarah kind of taking matters into their own hands, trying to produce that promised child in their own strength. And it did not turn out well. It says of Ishmael, he will be a wild donkey of a man and every man's hand will be against him and his hand will be against every man. And Abraham even said at one point to God, oh, that Ishmael might live before you. And God is saying, no, I have Isaac in store and it's going to be a supernatural story that will give glory to me. And so often I think we're not willing to wait for that Isaac in our lives. There was a point in my relationship with Eric when he had expressed the desire or the interest in moving beyond a friendship that he felt that one day God would lead us to get married. But we were definitely holding the relationship with an open hand. We weren't just diving in with both feet. We wanted to be led by God the entire way. And he had left to go away to missionary school. And this was back in the days, if you can believe it, without cell phones and without email. And so I remember not having a lot of contact with him when he was gone and being worried that he was going to meet another girl there and lose interest in me and that everything that God had scripted between us would just sort of fade. And I was really grappling with that struggle and that fear. And one day I just remember going to my parents' back porch and sitting on the porch swing and just praying and saying, Lord, I give this relationship, this possibility of marriage, I I lay it in your hands and do with it what you will. And from that point forward, after I surrendered, it really was a daily surrender, not just a one-time prayer. But when I chose to have that heart attitude of surrender, it really removed that 
pressure and that fear, okay, I need to get his attention. I need to remind him that I exist. I need to manipulate circumstances. And I was able to just trust God and hold it with an open hand. And God was so faithful to write the story as he saw fit in his own time and way. And when you're attracted to a godly guy, I think it's so important to first surrender it to God. Secondly, focus on treating everyone in your life with the same the same attitude, the same love. Your goal should be in all relationships to point eyes to Jesus and not draw attention to yourself. So if you're singling a guy out and trying to draw his attention to you, then that's a sign that you're probably using human manipulation and not really surrendering this whole situation to God. But if your your goal is to just simply shine the light of Christ and shine the love of Christ into his life, and, and it's the same as you would treat every one of your brothers and sisters in Christ or everyone that you encounter on a daily basis, then you know that you're pointing his eyes to Jesus and you don't have to be afraid of having conversations with him or being around him as long as you're not singling him out and trying to draw attention to yourself. And I think a lot of women who are in that situation sort of feel like, oh, I can't even look at him or talk to him. I've got to go hide from him. But really, if your goal is just to simply show the love of Christ and not pull his focus towards you, then that's not something to be afraid of, to to be around him and talk with him. And another thing that I would share is to gain victory over your thought life. It's not wrong to be attracted or drawn to a godly man, but learn how to take your thoughts captive. Don't let those desires or emotions run away with you and be a distraction to you. Don't give your heart internally to a guy before anything's even happened, but surrender those those thoughts back to God. And if they become a distraction to you, begin to pray and meditate on scripture and truth and pray for others instead of dwell on these scenarios of what it would be like to have a relationship with this guy. And there's a lot more I could share about taking thoughts captive, but those three points, surrendering to God, focus on pointing his eyes towards Christ, and learn how to take thoughts captive are so key when you're dealing with attraction to a godly man. And that also brings up the question of flirting and or helping nudge a guy towards a relationship. There are a lot of Christian messages today that actually seem to imply that flirting is okay and that gently nudging or pushing a guy towards a romantic relationship is is good because here we live in this generation where guys don't know how to take the lead. They don't know how to take the initiative. They don't know how to win a woman's heart. So we as women just need to help them out. But if you look all throughout scripture, you see see this pattern of the man initiating and the woman responding. Even in our relationship with Christ as the bride of Christ, we love him because he first loved us. And to get out of that pattern just because we're impatient or we don't believe that God can work through a man to teach him how to be a leader and teach him how to take the initiative, it shows a great lack of faith on our part. Flirting really is trying to draw someone's attention to yourself in a manipulative way way. So there's nothing innocent or harmless about it. Just read about the adulterous woman in Proverbs 7 as just a a warning sign of what can happen when we give into that sensuality and trying to entice a man with the way we speak and how we act around him. God says that her house is the way to hell leading to the chambers of death. So it's not something to take lightly. But I love the example of John the Baptist. He was always pointing eyes back to Jesus. He said, 
I must decrease, but he must increase. And that really should be our goal when we're interacting with the opposite sex, whether it's online or in person, that we would get out of the way and that Jesus Christ would be seen. And one thing that I say about flirting is if you wouldn't flirt with another man after marriage, why would you flirt with him before marriage? So if your future husband is standing there watching you interact with these guys, would he feel honored. And if he wouldn't, then that's a pretty clear sign that you're not living according to God's pattern in that area of your life. Remember, Proverbs 31:12 is such a powerful reminder that the godly wife does her husband good and not harm all the days of her life, not just after she meets him. So begin living with that idea of how can I honor my future husband in everything that I do, everything that I post online, in all of my interactions. There is such that common idea that we need to prod guys along. We need to give them a wake-up call. We need to push them towards a relationship. But we need to trust that God is able to awaken a man to his calling to be a leader, his calling to take the initiative without us having to manipulate to get that to happen. And some say, you know, well, there's so many guys that are just, they want to be like these overgrown teenagers and they never want to take responsibility. They don't want to get a job or get married or start a family. They just want to play video games all day and, you know, live in their parents' basement. Well, you know, nudging a guy towards marriage and family who is in that place in his life, that's a really flawed mentality because he's not ready for marriage. Why would you want to marry a guy that you're constantly having to prod and nudge and say, hey, you're not being a leader. You're not rising up. You're not taking initiative. You want to wait for a man who's been built into a godly leader who will take responsibility, who will initiate, and who will lead a family forward. And so don't fall into that pressure like, oh, a guy is never going to enter into a relationship with me unless I prod him along. But trust that God, without your manipulation, can do mighty things in a man's life. And if he wants to write a love story, simply through your prayers and your godly example, he can uh, stir a man to take those first steps. Remember, with Ruth, she was completely surrendered, and there were practical steps that Naomi asked her to take in the redemption of their family line, but she was not selfish or aggressive in pursuing Boaz. She was literally just yielded to Naomi and to God and later to him and saying, I'm, I'm a willing vessel. And that's how we need to approach this area. Lord, I'm a willing vessel in your hands. Another question that comes up a lot is what about when guys don't notice you? And there's, again, that pressure, well, I've got to get them to notice me. And I think that's why so many women do hop online and try to create those profiles and get a part of an online dating community is they want guys to notice them. I love the story of my sister-in-law, Chrissy, when she was in her 30s and still single and wanted to be married, but she was living in a place where there weren't a lot of available single men her age. And people really pressured her, you know, go move to a bigger city, join a singles group, you know, get around guys your own age, otherwise you'll never get married. But she felt like she was just supposed to stay exactly where she was and trust God. She read that scripture in Proverbs, you know, he who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. And she thought, well, it's the man who does the finding. So I'll let him find me right here. And what a place of faith when everyone around you is basically implying that you'll never get married unless you go do something about it. She just waited on 
God. And God was so faithful to bring a man into her life in the most unlikely of places, a man who had been waiting for a godly woman and wrote a beautiful love story. They've been married many years now with five children. What an incredible testimony of when we leave the pen in God's hands, when we say, I'll wait, Lord, for you to bring that Isaac instead of trying to create an Ishmael out of impatience. One godly man that I had asked this question to, okay, what should a girl do, a single girl do when guys don't notice her? And his advice was don't do anything. Keep your eyes fixed upon Jesus Christ because it is your focus on Christ, not your pursuing of guys that's truly going to draw a godly man's heart. So now let's get into that question about online dating. Now, I could probably do a whole podcast about this, but I think some of the things that we've talked about in the past few minutes here really lay that foundation. If you have a heart of surrender and you're not manipulative and you're not impatient, that really answers a lot of questions about online dating because for the most part, people get involved in online dating out of impatience. They want to find a relationship. They feel incomplete without a relationship. They're lonely. They're trying to solve their loneliness through a relationship. And a lot of women do it because they feel the pressure to somehow prove to guys that they're a good catch. And really, what online dating boils down to is you're marketing yourself. You're trying to create this persona like, here's who I am. Here's what I like. Here's me. Uh, do you want to date me? Do you find me interesting? It's kind of like, uh, you know, standing on a stage in front of a bunch of single men and doing a slideshow presentation about all your qualities and why they should want to date you. And really, I feel that this mentality, approaching it that way or, or getting involved in online dating, especially if it's for those reasons, it destroys a woman's feminine mystery. And instead of being guarded um, and being, you know, keeping the things that God's entrusted to her sacred, she puts them on display for everyone to see. And she sort of puts herself um, out there to say, you know, I want to snag a guy. I want to draw a guy's attention instead of keeping her eyes on Christ and trusting that God is a big God. You know, people used to always say to me when I was in my teen and single years, God can't steer a parked car. You need to take all these practical steps to try to find a relationship. But what a lack of faith to say something like God can't steer a parked car. You know, he created the heavens and the earth. He parted the Red Sea. I don't think he's limited uh, <laughs> to steering a parked car. And of course, if he gives you a, a very practical leading, you know, talk to this person or, or go to this church or join this uh, Bible study. And, you know, maybe he's speaking to you about meeting your future husband in these scenarios. None of that's bad. But when you leave God out of it and you're just trying to make things happen in your own strength or when you're giving into the cultural pressure to snag a guy and prove you're a good catch to a guy, then you really are taking that pen out of God's hands and robbing him of the ability to show himself mighty in this area of your life. So just imagine the freedom of trusting God, of putting the pen in his hands, of saying, I'm not going to fall prey to that cultural pressure and I'm going to recognize that I have everything that I need right now for perfect happiness in Jesus Christ, whether married or or single. Because really, if you're putting happiness on hold until marriage, you will be sorely disappointed. Marriage can be, bring great joy into our lives, but it's not what brings us ultimate fulfillment and happiness. You're going to marry a human person. They're going to let you down. They're not going to be the Prince Charming you've dreamed about your entire life. Now, godly marriage can be 
edifying and life-giving and beautiful. But if that's where we're putting our hope, if that's where we're putting our security, then we're putting too much pressure on that marriage to meet needs in our life that only Jesus Christ can meet. So check the motives of your heart. Are you truly content and fulfilled in Christ right now? And if you are, you won't be giving in to that constant pressure to get a guy's attention. And the last question I want to deal with here is what about when you're tempted to lower your standards? Because through online dating and the digital world, there are so many opportunities to lower our standards and think, well, this guy's good enough. And one thing I want to say is if you're if you're meeting guys online, it's very easy for guys to be deceptive and you know, to put their best foot forward. I knew a girl once who wrote everything that she wanted in a future husband on her personal blog, and a guy who was sort of a predatory guy read that and then he sort of transformed himself into this digital version of everything that she wanted in a man and she really was deceived by that and it led to a lot of heartache. So remember that uh, what you see online is not always um, truly what's in a guy's heart. I think one of the healthiest ways to get to know a, a man's true character is to observe him in real life around his family and that's how Eric and I got to know each other. When you're around your family, those who know you the best, you really can't put on a personal facade very easily. Your family won't usually let you get away with it, especially if you have younger siblings. You have to truly be the person that you are. You can't pull the wool over someone's eyes. And that was a huge blessing in my relationship with Eric to really just see him and observe him around his family, to see how he was with his mom and his sister. And if you can't be around him, around his family, then around the people that know him the best and aren't just trying to, you know, cater to him putting on a show for you. If you're tempted to lower your standards in any relationship, whether it's through an online guy that you've met or um, in real life, you need to be reminded first and foremost what true godly manhood really is. Because if you really catch a vision for godly manhood, and in our, our course that we are doing this month called Inspiring Today's Men, the first week is about warrior poet manhood, a man who is an incredible blend of strength and sensitivity, and he uses his strength and his sensitivity to live a poured out life, to bless others, and to fight for the causes that are on God's heart. And when you know what true manhood really is, it helps you remember not to be distracted with these counter that are all around us in the culture today and not to waste your time uh, with deceptive men, maybe online. So read Job 29. It's an incredible picture of godly manhood. Read uh, the story of King David. What an amazing man of God he was. And read about Jesus, the, the life of Jesus here on this earth, and then the power of Jesus in the book of Revelation. And you'll begin to see some of those qualities and recognize that God wants to build today's men into truly outward-focused, selfless, Christ-built men. Once you gain a vision for what real manhood is, you'll be a lot less likely to lower your standards. And it's also dangerous to think, well, I can shape a guy into a picture of godly manhood. Only God can do that. All we can do as women is encourage and pray and be an inspiring example. But if you think that you're going to manipulate him and change him to be like Christ, you're trying to take the position of God in his life, and that's usually going to backfire on you. And if he hasn't truly proven that he has godly character, he's not ready for a relationship. Men can say 
everything that they they want online or in person. But if you haven't witnessed his life, if he hasn't truly proven godly character, then it's so important to wait and let God show you who he really is and if God's really worked true godly character in his life. If a man is pushing you beyond what you are comfortable with in any area, in any type of conversation, in any type of relationship, and constantly pushing you to lower your standards, you need to step away. In fact, you may need to run away. It says in the Bible, flee youthful lust. We are to run from anything that causes us to stumble in the area of youthful lust. And if something is pulling you away from Christ and away from God's standards, it doesn't belong in your life. You may need to recruit a protector, a godly, a parent, a leader, a dad, a godly person who can really step in if the guy is not taking the hint. And you may need to speak very clearly and bluntly. That doesn't mean you need to be rude, but be willing to protect the sacred treasure of your heart to honor the fact that God has given you feminine mystery and not to just throw that to the wind. God has an amazing purpose for your life, whether you're married or single, and it's not wrapped up in whether you have a relationship or not. It's based on your relationship with Jesus Christ. So no matter what season of life you're in, if you're grappling with some of these issues, or even if you're married and you're looking to your husband or your marriage to satisfy needs for identity and security and happiness, I encourage you to take a step back from all that and pursue more and more of Jesus Christ. The more of Christ you have in your life, the less desperate and uh, the less pressure you feel in the area of relationships, and you automatically get in step with God with how he's designed you to be in guarding your feminine mystery and trusting him in this area of your life when he is your all in all. So I hope you've enjoyed today's episode. If you would like to go deeper into the subject of inspiring today's men, if you have men in your life that you're struggling with, relating to, whether it's a dad, a brother, a son, a guy friend, or if you're struggling with just guys in the culture, maybe you're a single woman and you're disillusioned by the mediocrity that you see around you in today's men, I really encourage you to join us for this online course. And even if you didn't uh, join us for the course in October, right when it first started, you can still be a part of this course at any time. Just go to setapartgirl.com or braveheartedchristian.com and it's a really powerful course, four weeks of teaching plus a, a Q&A. So whether you're a mom, a friend, a sister, or a wife, this course will really, really help you gain a vision for how to help guys rise above mediocrity. I pray you have a blessed and Christ-centered week. 